Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's hear the reading of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Okay, I want to introduce you to two people this morning. Two people. This is James. And this is George. James. I keep coming out, cutting in and out. James and George. And they are great. What's going on here? If I take that out there, maybe that will help. They are great friends. And they are always together. George is always with James. That sounds good, doesn't it? Do you know, they were born on the same day at the same hospital. Isn't that incredible? They're almost like twins. They've got different parents, but they were born the same day at the same hospital. They've been together since that time. They've been friends. George has always been with James. They went to the same kinder. And so whenever James was at the, uh, at the sand pit, George was with him playing in the sand. Whenever James was drawing and painting and colouring, there was George with him. But, you know, there was one day where James was sick, and so he couldn't go to kinder. And when that happened, George couldn't be with James. George went to kinder, and George couldn't go and visit him because his parents didn't want George to get sick. So there was James, and George wasn't with him. But then James came to school, and they were together again, and George was with James. And then... Guess what happened after they finished kinder? They went to the same school, exactly right. 
They went to the same school and they were in the same class in prep. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Best friends still together. Still together in prep at school. And so they would sit at the same table together and they would start doing their reading. They would learn their letters together. There was James and George was there with him, right next to him. A, B, C, they'd learn the sounds. They'd learn to put the sounds together and start reading the words together. They'd start doing maths, one plus one, that equals two. They learnt that together. George was always with James. But then, you know, the teacher decided, you know, let's, let's change things up a bit. And the teacher moved them around and had them sit in different spots. And so all of a sudden, George was over here and, and James was over here. And they weren't together again in class. A bit hard on them, isn't it? They were always together. George was always with James. But now they're in the same class, but they're on different tables. But then recess came and they got to leave the class and George and James, they were together again. They were best friends. George tried to always be with James and James really liked it when he was with George. They were best friends, but they couldn't always be together, could they? In kinder, they couldn't always be together because sometimes they were sick, same as at school. Sometimes one of them was sick. Or they'd be sitting at different tables. Sometimes they'd just be, one of them would be away on holiday while the other one was there. And then when the school day finished, they'd go home and they didn't live in the same house. So they weren't always together, were they? But when, whenever they could be, they were with one another. George was always with James and James was always with George when they could be. Do you know, in the Bible passage that we just read, we discover something really special about Jesus. There's a name that is given to Jesus. And that name is Emmanuel. Does anyone here know what Emmanuel means? Yes. God is with us, that's right. God is with us, always. That is one of Jesus' names. That is what we can call him. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know, Jesus is a much better friend than George is to James. George was a great friend to James, always wanted to be with James, but he couldn't always be with James. But Jesus is always with us. When we trust in him, Jesus is always with us. It doesn't matter if we're having a bad day, if we're having a sad day, if we're having a grumpy day, an angry day, if we're having a day which is just awful. Jesus is with us. And he's with us on the really good days. He's with us on the laughing days, on the really fun days. Jesus is with us. You know, if you trust in Jesus, he is always with you. Much better than George and James. Sometimes they weren't together. But if you trust in Jesus, 
Jesus is always with you. How about we say a prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus and that he is always with us. Thank you that he loves us. Thank you that he will always be with us no matter what happens to us. I pray that these kids would know that and all of us grown-ups too, that we would always know that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's pray again as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask now that as we turn to your word, that you would indeed speak through it, speak to us. Lord, may we be filled with encouragement and joy and hope and peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But when you hear a knock on your door, someone has arrived for a reason. There's an answer to the question, why are you here? If it's a plumber or a handyman, a carpenter, you've probably called them to your house and arranged for them to come and, and fix something or to make some kind of improvement at your house. If it's a friend there, well, they've come to see you, to spend time with you. If it's a random person, maybe they're there to sell you something. There's always a reason, there's a why to why they are there. We don't ask why a baby arrives. Now, those mature enough know how a baby has arrived, but beyond the biological process, the baby and the parent and no one else knows the reason, the purpose of that baby's arrival. What have they come to do? Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives an important but general answer to why any of us are here. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's everyone's purpose. But what's this baby's specific purpose? How will they accomplish that general purpose? Now, we can sometimes identify at least part of their purpose later in life. She was born to be a mother, an artist, a doctor. He was born to be a father, an explorer, a runner. But we've just read the story of Jesus coming and his family were told ahead of time what his purpose was. As we read these incredible verses, we're left with the amazing reality God came to save. As we look back 2,000 years, as we prepare for Christmas in our hearts and with our families and as a church, that's a key truth to remember. God came to save. We'll be looking at this passage under three headings. The first heading in verses 18 to 19 is family drama. And it's in the context of that family drama that we have the announcement of the angel in uh, our second heading, verses 20 to 21, that Jesus will be saviour. 
And then in our third heading, in verses 22 to 25, we're told Jesus is Emmanuel. Family drama, saviour, Emmanuel. All leading to the glorious truth, God came to save. Let's explore that reality in our first heading, verses 18 to 19, family drama. Look there at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now as we read through verses 18 to 25, you might have noticed that there's no details about the actual birth event. We don't know how long the labour was. We don't know where it happened, at least not from Matthew. We don't know who was there, beyond the obvious. We don't know how big Jesus was. Clearly, Matthew hasn't been trained by his wife on how to give a proper birth notice. Matthew's interest is different to ours in 21st century Australia. He's more interested in the circumstances of his birth. And so when he says the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, he's focusing on, his interest is in the family situation. See, Mary was betrothed to Joseph when she became pregnant. And that was a scandal. A woman becoming pregnant before marriage isn't considered a big deal in today's Australia. But back then, this would ruin reputations and could even be a cause for the death penalty. Can you imagine Mary's emotional state? Just what would be in her head? What would her father think about this? What would her mother think? What would Joseph think? What's going to happen to her? You might be sceptical of the miracles in the Bible, and and maybe especially this miracle. See, Matthew says that this pregnancy was from the Holy Spirit. Not because Mary and Joseph couldn't wait until marriage, or because Mary spent the night with another man. Mary was innocent, and this child was a miracle of God. That's the claim Matthew makes. But maybe you think that that's just all a story. That Mary couldn't own up to the truth and so she invented this story and Joseph was just so gullible that he believed it. Maybe you think the virgin birth is a story for suckers. But Joseph wasn't gullible. Look at his response in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, if you're confused about why Joseph is called her husband and why he'd need a divorce, well, betrothal wasn't like our modern-day engagements. Betrothal was a legally binding relationship. You were legally married, even though the woman still lived with her parents and there was no intimacy. To break a betrothal required a divorce. It was basically stage one of the marriage process. Now, people assume the virgin birth is impossible. 
And that's understandable. The world has been established in a particular way. If we based everything on what happened to us personally, then yes, the virgin birth is impossible. But that also assumes that there's no God who made the world and engages with the world. But that gives us another problem. If you believe that there's no God, you have to have your own miracle that you believe. See, scientific discoveries last century have confirmed what the Bible has always said, that the universe had a beginning. And so how was it formed? You're forced to believe that once, once there was nothing, and then that nothing exploded and became everything. But nothing comes from nothing, ever. And so the atheist is forced to choose between two miracles. You've got the virgin birth of Jesus, or the virgin birth of the universe. As we think about the family drama, it's worth looking at Joseph's reaction. He was well within his rights to demand justice, that Mary be put to death. But look again at verse 19. He was both just and unwilling to bring her into public disgrace. Justice might be incredibly important to you. You want things to be fair, for people to get what they deserve. But here's Joseph, and he is imitating God. God, who is righteous and holy and just, he is also compassionate, merciful, gracious. God shows love and care to sinners. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, your father sends rain on the just and the unjust. And more than send rain, he he sent Jesus. So that sinners who are worthy of death, that's all of us, sinners worthy of death can receive life. God came to save. God is gracious to sinners even while he's just. Can we say the same? Are we like Joseph, like God? Are we willing to show grace, to be forgiving, to not hold someone's sin against them? Or instead do we hold a grudge and demand our rights? Are we focused on justice over forgiveness? Are we so consumed with the need for everything to be fair that we will never forget when our sense of justice has been crossed? How good is it that for those of us who are unwilling to forgive or show compassion, God came to save. That's what we see in Jesus' name, and that's our second heading in verses 20 to 21, Saviour. See, Joseph has considered divorcing Mary, but an angel comes to him in a dream. I hope you're not expecting to have an angel come to you when you're struggling with a difficult situation or expecting to receive some other kind of message from God outside the Bible. 
This was the most significant event so far in God's plan to save the world. Our problems, our issues can't compare with that. The angel, a messenger from God, tells Joseph Joseph not to divorce Mary, not to be afraid of marrying her, not to be afraid of her character. See, God understood. Isn't that so good to see? God understood how difficult it would be to believe that Mary didn't commit adultery. He knows that he's set the world up in a particular way. He knows that that's the norm for how children are brought into the world. He knows that it was reasonable for Joseph to assume this of Mary. And so he sent his angel. God showed his incredible kindness. He was kind to Joseph by assuring him of Mary's character. He was kind to Mary, ensuring she had a husband. And the father was kind to Jesus by providing him with an earthly father. Joseph provides Jesus with a a measure of earthly security, a sense of legitimacy in the eyes of the public. And another aspect, more, it, it provides Jesus with a masculine role model. But while the angel has called on Joseph to save Mary's reputation and be the father to her child, it's the child who is the true saviour. See the angel's words in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. In Jesus' name, we discover his purpose. If you go looking, there are some grand mission statements out there. Nike's mission statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Now that is the kind of mission statement that I cannot imagine them ever completing, ever succeeding. Every athlete, not just every professional athlete, that would be hard enough, but every athlete. How's that possible? When when there are other brands out there. But Jesus' mission statement seems to be all the more impossible. See, sin has been the bane of God's people since that first act of rebellion by Adam and Eve. Since then, Satan has had power over us. See, he seduces us with his lies. He tempts us with promises of power, enjoyment, love, fame, fortune, peace. And when we fall for his lies, he slams us with feelings of shame and he demands before God that we be found guilty and sentenced to eternal punishment in the fires of hell. How could Jesus possibly save his people from their sins? Well, that's what Matthew is going to spend the rest of his gospel explaining. See, Jesus won't give in to temptation even once. He'll show his power over the devil as he heals the sick and casts out demons and raises the dead. He'll teach about the wonders of God's kingdom. 
And ultimately, he will go to the cross, fulfilling the promises that God made all through the Old Testament. See, back then, back in Old Testament times, to be forgiven, the people needed an animal to be sacrificed. See, they knew that sin deserved death, and so it would either be the sinner who died or a substitute. And so that would bring an animal to die in their place, to take their punishment. But see, animals weren't enough. The same sacrifice needed to happen again and again. But Jesus came fulfilling the hopes of all of those other sacrifices. He was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice, which all of those other ones through the Old Testament, all of them pointed to him, to his sacrifice. He lived the perfect, sinless life. And by dying on the cross, he took our place. Jesus, the babe of Mary, grew up to die that he could save his people from their sins. He experienced God forsaking him on the cross so that we could be welcomed. He experienced God's fierce anger so that we could know his kindness. Before the cross, Jesus prayed that if there was any other way, he prayed that he would be spared. But there was no other way. He was called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. He's the only one who can save us from our sins. But how quickly we forget that. When we feel the shame of our sin, when we want to hide, because we know we're guilty, we often go after other ways, which promise to fix the problem, but which can't deliver. We renew our resolutions to never do that again, We try to make up for that thing that we did wrong by extra religious practices. Maybe we'll read the Bible more, we'll pray more, we'll give more money. Parents often try to discipline the sin out of their children. They they yell it out of them or they ignore it and pretend that it's going away. But it's Jesus who saves us from our sin. And as he's born, more angels appeared, we read in Luke, declaring the glorious news. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Only through Jesus, his blood on the cross, can we be saved. He is the saviour. And so come to him in your shame. Teach your children to come to him in simple faith. He came to save, and he will never cast away those who come to him in humility, knowing that he is the only way. Jesus is the saviour because in our third heading, he's Emmanuel. We see that in verses 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. At Christmas, we celebrate that God came to save. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in obedience to the Father, 
he came. God humbled himself. Not by, or not only by becoming human and taking on flesh, but by, by becoming a baby. Helpless. Utterly dependent. Now this is something that our Muslim neighbours think is blasphemous. But it's actually glorious. And something that Christians all too often take for granted. Just think about babies. We've got a couple here this morning. They drink milk from their mother. They cry because they can't meet their own needs. They need to be changed all through the day because they have a digestive system. Now, the Muslim is shocked at that. And rightly so, it is shocking. But that's not a reason to reject the message, but it's just another reason to rejoice in it. To be lost in wonder at it. God became human. He became a baby. This is the humility of our God. And why did he do this? Because only God could save us. Now, only a human could pay the price of the sins of humans. An animal couldn't do it. An angel couldn't do it. Humanity sinned. Humanity must die. But to save us, to save us, this person who would die in our place needed to be worthy. His life needed to be of infinite worth to pay the price, the the huge bankrupting debt of all his people. He will save his people from their sins. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, in that virgin's womb was God. God came to save. The second person of the Trinity took onto himself a human nature without letting go of his divinity. Truly God, truly man which means that he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. The firstborn of Mary, raised by Mary and Joseph, who learns to walk and talk, eat solids, play games, read, work as a carpenter with Joseph. He was and is God. God walked the streets of of Nazareth and Jerusalem. God spoke to the woman at the well. God taught the disciples. God was truly with them. See, this is how determined God was to save you. He came himself. The infinite took on a finite body with all that that means. The only wise God took on a human mind which needed to learn. The God who never sleeps became tired and fell asleep on the boat. The one who created the waters and and gathered them up became thirsty. God came to save, and he comes to us even now. Jesus has poured out his Spirit into the hearts of believers 
which means that he is always with us. And one day we will be with him, seeing him face to face when he returns in glory. When he comes to, to judge those who've rejected the offer of salvation that he makes. And he comes to rescue those who cling to him through the trials and the tribulations of this life. Christmas is often a time where people feel lonely. See, it's advertised as a time for family, but not everyone has a family. Or they don't have a family that they want to be with. Or a family who wants to be with them. It's good to spend time with family at Christmas. But why would we limit ourselves to family? Do you have a neighbour who will be all alone on Christmas? Or a friend, a workmate? Invite them to enjoy Christmas with you and your family. See, God came to save. He is God with us. And so let's invite others to be with us. Let's not idolise that perfect family Christmas. Let's be open to hospitality even then, even Christmas Day. Invite them to the carols that we'll have Christmas Eve. Invite them to church Christmas Day with you. Expose them to the Christmas story. Be Christians around them. See, most in our culture have, have lost the art and the joy of hospitality. And many in the church have forgotten its power to make friends and even to give gospel opportunities. If we're going to proclaim the God who came to save, who was and is God with us, we need to be with them. We need to show love to them, to to be generous to them. We are surrounded by people who are lonely. God came to save. See, his saviour and Emmanuel. Let's be with them. What a message we have to share that in their darkest moments, God can be with them. Let's not waste this Christmas. What better opportunity will we get to share the gospel of forgiveness? When will it be easier to invite someone to church? What bigger prompt do we need to pray for our families who who don't know Jesus this Christmas when we remember that God came to save? Now, praise God, in verses 24 and 25, Joseph obeys. He marries Mary, receives Jesus as his son. By naming Jesus, he he adopts him as his own. This Christmas, let's urge others to receive Jesus, to know that God came to save and that he is always with his people. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do thank you that you came to be with us, that the Lord Jesus truly is truly is human, truly is a man, truly did come as a baby. Thank you that he came in order to die, 
to die that sacrificial death so that we could live, so that we could be saved, as his name says. And thank you that as we're saved, he is with us always. We pray that this will be the message on our lips this Christmas and that this will be a message that we live out as we strive to imitate you and be with others. Lord, may we truly invite people into our lives, into our homes, and may we even do it this Christmas and bring the gospel to them. Lord, save people this Christmas and grow us in our delight of who you are, that you are God with us, the God who has saved us. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.